the scriptures please with me to Isaiah chapter 40 this reading is to introduce us to the series that's before us I'm not sure what the title should be it should probably not be let Phil introduce you to Jesus it should be let God introduce us to himself uh, through the lens of Jesus I'd like to start that by reading from Isaiah chapter 40. I have just a few verses which we'll cover in more detail in a little while. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Behold your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He he gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Verse 13, who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Verse verse 15, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. To whom then will you compare God? Verse 18. Verse 21, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Verse 26, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Verse 28, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one uh, can fathom. I'd like us to begin our study with a, a question on the first slide, which is somewhere hidden in the annals of Microsoft at the moment. While I'm trying to figure this out, perhaps you could just uh, consider the, the question, what is the most important goal to have in life? And I'd like you just to try for a moment and, and write that out for yourself as we begin and see uh, nothing. Thank you, brother. Shut up. Ah, we're there. I think we're there. Just go back one. Yeah. Back one. It's not He's going to figure this out. I hope. Yes. The uh, as as we embark on this study, I think that's a very important question. 
And I think it'll take some context as we move through this introduction to our series. I was recommend, it was recommended to me that, uh, that uh, we, Peg and I, watch a movie called Inside Out. How many have seen this movie? Okay. Uh, it's, uh, it's a story about Riley Anderson, who is uh, a young girl who moves from her comfortable Western, Midwestern home, is a happy hockey player, happy in her family life with her friends, and her fr- family has to move to the, uh, to the West Coast. And this is a, 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 an interesting story about how her emotions controlled her life during this change. And her inner emotions were disgust, fear, joy, sadness, and anger. And these, these emotions are playing on her as she accepts this change, or she tries to accept this change in life. Her, her goal in life was to be happy. And all of these characters within her, her emotions, were playing on her, as it's called in the movie, her central control station, uh, her mastermind area, and made her behave in, uh, in these certain ways. Very interesting story. And it's something that uh, helps us to understand that we are, if we let it, controlled by forces from inside or from outside that are not in accordance with our goal. One of the things missing, of course, in the movie is uh, some of the dimensions of the external influences that can come from outside and change your life. And that's what we're talking about here this morning. But it was an interesting introduction to what do we hold as most important in our life and how do we move in that direction. There was a survey done uh, in... uh, uh, and I won't go into it in much detail, but they, they asked the same question to some people summarized here. What is the most important goal for your life? And this is a distribution of what people said. These have been summarized under the title F, fitness, friends and family, finance and work, fun and faith. And that kind of tell, tells you uh, a whole series of stories that uh, we can start with as to what the majority of people would place, where, where the majority of people would place their answer in, in accordance with this question. Of course, we don't want to spend too much time on uh, other uh, places, but God's word and our understanding from it. And one of the phrases that came up to me to find this in the Bible as a, as a survey of what we're trying to do together, uh, the question is, what is that one thing? That one thing you hang over top of your life and all other dimensions fit under that. Now for some of us, we don't have such a thing. Some of us just live existentially day to day, wake up and what am I going to do today and I'll I'll do this. But in the background, there are some fundamental things going on that need to be understood by us and are indeed absolutely essential to us to understand if we are to renew our faith and grow in our Lord and Savior. I'd like us to look at some examples, and you'll note that I'm going to be looking at the Old Testament and New Testament this morning together. And that's the way I'm urging the speakers to look at this topic that's before us in terms of God's attributes and the attributes of Jesus representing God to us uh, when when God in, became incarnate in, in human flesh. But just listen to a few of these first. King David 
A man after God's heart said, One thing I ask of the Lord, one thing I ask of the Lord, and that is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. He's not talking about church here or the temple. He's talking about every day of my life I'm going to dwell in God's temple. And that is the one thing King David wanted. Turning to an example from the New Testament, of course, we'll look at the Lord himself in a few moments. But Philippians chapter 3, and I listened to Ted's talk, and I won't add, can't add anything to what he said at the end of 2018, beginning, 20, end of 2017, beginning 2018, Philippians chapter 3. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. I press towards the goal to win the prize for which God in Christ Jesus has called me. Take us to hear the Lord and what he says our most important goal should be. Uh, And these are, again, uh, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. From the Old, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, God said, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. From Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Not just know about you. Not just know that he exists but know him personally in a day-to-day relationship with the God of heaven. That's what Jesus, I think, was asking for. So that's what God says. The therefore is, what should we say to ourselves? And this is just a reiteration from our personal point of view of what we're committing to when we start this series. Our most important focus ought to be from Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29. If from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. Not because of your seeking, but because he will find you. If you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. So that's the condition that we need to approach this whole topic in. is in great humility to seek the Lord with our whole heart. And then we will be found by him. He doesn't invade us. He doesn't uh, invade our will. He asks us to respond to him and respond to him in such a way that we are, are bowing before him in humility to ask him to, uh, first of all, to save us, to, to know about him and to know him uh, as we live, live with him. Jesus was asked in John chapter 6 in the New Testament, uh, that same type of question. What was, must we do to do the work that God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. So I like to draw little maps and pictures, as you know, and not very good ones, and you know that too. I've entitled this slide a bit of a summary of what we're trying to do together and that is to go before the one and only. That expression I like, it's found in John 17 again, that you may know the one and only true God and 
Jesus was saying it, and I am the one that was sent into the world by him to demonstrate uh, God uh, to you all. What what we're going to look at is the uh, majestic wonder of the Trinity. And God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, how they are one God. God has a plurality to him, He is, but he is one God. And that's way beyond our comprehension. And that's something I urge the speakers who are preparing to remember. That God's mind and God's heart is way above us. And we are on the path to understanding it. But there is no completion of that path here on this earth. None of us, as Paul said, have arrived. We are all on this learning path uh, before the one and only God. What we're focusing on in our study is the attributes of God as, as, as shown that Jesus came to demonstrate to us and help us to understand in a very material present body uh, life Jesus brought to us. And hence this is the domain of God. Uh, the divine Son of God is fully God and yet he became fully man as he entered the, the other sphere of time and space which he created. And that's why I've put that in here. In in looking at his attributes, and what do we mean by attributes? We mean the properties, the characters by which he is described and known, the, the way he is, all kinds of different ways you can look at attributes, but that's what we're talking about. And I've divided those, and this is just Phil Donaldson here, putting them into two categories. And you could do some other things with these and listed them. There's the constitutional ones. Who, who, what is he materially? And what is he in himself physically and uh, in spirit and so on? And we talk about God's, the unity of God in the Trinity, that he is infinite, that he is eternal, that he is unchangeable or immutable, that God is spirit, he is immense, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere and yet separate from where he is, that he is sovereign, that he is omnipotent. I'm trying not to divide, jump into any of those in any detail, just to list them for now. And then there's the aspect of personality. God is a person. He is one who has a mind and knows all. He is, and he has some sensibility characteristics and attributes. He is holy. He is love. He is justice. He is goodness. He is truth. He is faithful. And that's not something that is on a scale like we would put it if we described ourselves that way. He's a fairly loving person. I'm not pointing at anybody in particular here. God is absolutely love. He is absolutely holy. He is those things. And that's uh, something we need to come to grips with. Now, I'm going to highlight in a few moments, and I just want to say it here as well. The divine Son of God is God. He is, has all of those attributes fully in himself. God, God the Son did not start when he at Bethlehem. God the Son is eternally God the divine Son of God. And he doesn't just show up in the New Testament, he shows up in the Old Testament. And I want the speakers again, if we can, to start off by at least a brief survey of the Old Testament and what's said about God, the divine Son. Not just God, but God the divine Son is well included in that, and God the Spirit as we move forward into a study of his entry into time and space in this particular way uh, that he chose. Now when you look at 
at a, a survey of the scriptures by these titles, uh, you have to also look at the nature of man, the teaching of man, and who man is to understand the relationship that we have with him. And he, God gave us this choice in creation of understanding him and responding to him. Understanding that we are sinful, for example, need a savior, and we respond to him in faith and all kinds of interaction as we grow in our knowledge and relationship with him. He's also given man this option to receive what he has displayed to them in the various dimensions of his revelations, whether it be the revelation that's in the stars, the word of God, other Christians witnessing about God to a person and so on. And then that person, in this case, ignores, uh, rejects, turns away from the God who wants us all to be a part of his, of his heavenly family. When I was in university, I was in, uh, I was in aeronautical engineering as part of my engineering discipline. And at that time, uh, we were doing calculations how, how we would send a missile uh, to the moon. And when I was in university, I might be wrong by a couple of years, but my, my understanding of the, uh, of the, f- the universe was around this end of the slide. As I woke up a little bit more, didn't know how to do any math for it, but we have the Milky Way as our galaxy. And then as time has gone by, and Dave, shared, Dave Hook shared this, a bit of this in communion, how the universe has many gal- galaxies. Somewhere over in here, I think, is the little Milky Way that has uh, many, many solar systems beside ours, apparent for, according to th- their understanding. And this is the majesty of God in its fullness in the overall universe. When we look at the, at the reading we had, I, I'm just sharing this a little bit to understand how my vision of God has grown as I've understood more about his, his creation and its majesty and magnitude. And God calls us in, in, in Isaiah chapter 40 to behold your God, the one and only. And these dimensions were there in what we read. He starts off in that argument for himself with his care. And he ends his argument about himself in his providence of strength and care in our lives. I love those two brackets. He wanted a people for himself. And he started with caring for us from the Garden of Eden forward to the present time. He cares for us. We can see him in his works. We can understand his mind with some limitations, of course. We can see his sovereignty over the nations. And we learn from his his majesty and power. And those are the arguments that God himself presents uh, to uh, demonstrate who he is to us. So this is an outline of the attributes of God we want to behold and understand and pay particular attention as to how Jesus showed us those things uh, in his life, how the divine Son of God exhibited those characteristics. I know the speakers will focus on the, on the Gospels naturally, but I would urge you again to, to look from the Old Testament times through to, uh, to the, through the New Testament to understand these things. And I'll spend a moment on that again uh, shortly. Uh, we, we have the two introductory talks, which I very much appreciated as an introduction. And now we're on 
the introduction to the series and this is a listing of the topics that are before us so you can do your homework ahead of time and uh, uh, walk with us through this tremendous understanding endeavor that we've set before ourselves. I can tell you that uh, mine was a difficult one and no less difficult than all of the ones yet uh, to follow. Some recently have talked about the method of Bible study and I just want to highlight where we are on that little bit of a map very briefly. In, in Bible study, we have a number of basic uh, areas of, or topics of how we go about studying Scripture. And the start of it is what I want to, one of the things I want to highlight here is before we pick up the Bible, what are, what, how do we initiate ourselves? We do it with a seeking attitude in mind and heart. And we look at what we have in our hand as God's Word and reliance on the Spirit to give spiritual illumination as we study. Without that, it can be a textbook, it can be a, li- a book of poetry uh, or whatever and uh, be of interest. But our understanding is uh, that we need to look, humble ourselves before God who is going to reveal Himself to us as we study. And the first thing we do in Bible study is observe following questions like, what do I see here? Very carefully. We have the uh, science of interpretation, hermeneutics. What does this particular passage mean? And then, (coughs) pardon me. And then we have what we're going to be doing together mostly in this study is correlation. How does this fit together with the other related chapters and the talk about the subject before us? So if we look at God's creative power, we look at it at this aspect from beginning to the end of time. If we look at God's love, we look at it from the beginning to the end of time through all of Scripture. And we need to learn how to correlate those various topics as they show up uh, throughout Scripture. It's obvious, but I want to make it, I'm doing this to make a few points on the next slide. And then throughout it all, step by step by step, what we're doing here is having God Himself apply what He is seeking to teach us uh, as we learn uh, together. I want to make a few observations of of what correlation is about in this context. I've said this already, that we need to carefully relate topics from their individual references and our understanding of those specific contexts to, uh, as we pull them together through word studies, through context matching, to understand what we're, we're doing with a particular attribute of God. And then I've outlined a few, just a few elementary, well, not elementary, but elementary for me, steps that I've struggled with and looked at as I've gone through this introduction. And what are some of the synthesis or principles of collection that we need to be aware of? The first one is that all scripture is of God. And I know most of the people here believe that, but we have some creeping ideas in, in churches and in teaching that set Jesus' words with different importance and inspiration than the Apostle Paul. We, we have uh, people who look at God in the Old Testament as different from the God of the New Testament. And so I'm giving some examples of why I'm stressing this, that all scripture is of God. The immutability of God has to do with the essence of his attributes that they do not change. So God in the Old Testament is a God of love. 
some would see him only as a God of wrath in the Old Testament. But we have to step aside from us trying to understand everything and just hear what, who God is and who he is unchangeably from the beginning to the end. How he's not God in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament who is someone different from God. All of God in his attributes in the Trinity of God are immutable, unchangeable. Now that's not to say there isn't a progressive revelation in Scripture of some of these things, and we don't have time to do this topic justice, but just to highlight it that as you move through the Scriptures, God reveals himself increasingly and in changing ways uh, with different covenants and different dispensations and in different ways throughout throughout the story of the Bible. But we need to be aware of that as we try to synthesize uh, what we understand about God moving through them. Now, as we come across apparent difficulties... Uh, there's a tendency for all of us in the pride of our minds and hearts a little bit, and I say this with one finger pointed here and, and to the others who prepare and study. Uh, don't be upset about having apparent difficulties. Some you might be able to resolve and have a single understanding of something. In others you may just have to leave it and say, as, as was said in the book of Isaiah by God to us, my mind is so much higher than yours and your understanding is so limited. Continue to work with me in these regards, he says. Continue to follow me and, and uh, learn of me uh, through them. So apparent difficulties, some can be resolved. And you know what some of these are, the, the election and choice of God versus the will of the apparent difficulty of of the free human will to choose and all of these things that we wrestle with because our minds are not able to comprehend it all. One day we will, but in this life we probably won't. Maybe you've got those solved if you do come and talk to me after. But then there are some aspects of God's character and attributes that are irresolvable complexity on this side of eternity. And with those we need to be very humble in the way we speak from the pulpit, particularly about these topics about God. That we we may think we have the answers, but in all humility we need to just bow down and say we are we are his disciples. He is our rabbi. We are following him. We are learning from him and we do not know it all. And what we do know isn't because we think it's right. It's because we've followed what God has inspired and illumined in our hearts. Now I want you to memorize this table during the next minute. In, uh, again, when I was in engineering school studying applied science, one of the first courses we took was chemistry and I kind of didn't pay a lot of attention to it. I, was learned, go, I went there to learn about how to soup up engines and that kind of thing. But... Uh, these, this is an illustration of, of what we're trying to do as we study the attributes of God. Uh, these are the elements that are found in, cre- in creation. And they're not found in these simple forms where you see pure copper before you. But each of these have been studied for their, ver- their attributes as time has gone on. And 
What we're doing when we're studying chemistry is we're drilling down into the detail so that we understand the fundamentals of each of these elements, right? I spent my life trying to figure out what, what copper and zinc was all about. But when I looked at it underground, it doesn't look like this. It's combined most of the time with sulfur, and I'm oversimplifying the challenges we had. But that's what we had to know and understand, each one individually, but how they were related to each other. And that's when we, co- when we come to the attributes of God, that's where the majestic God starts to shine. The just God who is the God of love, who laid down his life at Calvary so that he could forgive us and that we could be forgiven and brought into his family. How many, somebody said at communion, how how the fullness and majesty of God came to focus at the cross of Calvary. And that's because the attributes of God all came together in the dynamics of how those interrelate and resolved the problems we would have had uh, without him revealing himself to us. I, I tried, like I did in chemistry when I was a young man, to have shortcuts to knowledge. And I tried to find out all I could about God by looking at some books of systematic theology. One Christmas I read the Institutes of Calvin. I was particularly struck by the fact that he wrote it when he was 27 years old. And I was climbing up fast on that and I hadn't written a a word yet. And uh, so on. The reason I'm putting this up is to say that this is not how we find out about God. We, we can look with some, and get some help from these books. But our first source of personal endeavor is in Scripture. And I want to sh- show you uh, um, a little bit about why I'm saying those things. If you look at the index of one of these, uh, any of these systematic theologies or systematic, sy- systematic studies of topics in Scripture, we're looking at one of them, the doctrine of God, and we'll overlap overlaps but into the, the teaching of man in relation to, to God. But when you get down, we don't have, we're not trying to do all of these things, although we will be bringing them in a little bit as we go. We're focused in, in the systematic theology, systematic learning point of view up in here about God and how that relates uh, to us and the others will overlap. But again, when you look at a book like that, that's not how God brought it to us in the scriptures. He brought it to us in the stories, in in his personal words, in the context of individual people living before him all the way through the book. I'm going to show that in a in a moment by illustrating two examples, and I'm not hopefully not stealing from the ones who are going to do those topics, but I've chosen two just to show you a little bit how I was uh, going about it to understand how these attributes work together in Scripture. First one is God, the one and only. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. God, our God, the one and only. So, in this first example, and we don't have time to go through these hardly at all, but I want to highlight on the right how God taught these things and revealed these things throughout the Old Testament. Moses, in the beginning, first of all, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's how the Bible starts. 
That's how God says, I am who I am. I created all this and I created you. And I created you for a purpose. That's a presupposition of Scripture. God is real and He demonstrates Himself to us uh, through His Word. He demonstrated Himself uh, when Moses was working with Pharaoh. And we have the confession in this story of Moses answered to Pharaoh, it will be as you say so that you may know there is no one like our God. Talk about evangelism. Talk about standing for your faith, understanding who God is, and bringing him into the context of their situation. That's how God taught about himself throughout the Old Testament. Moses teaching the nation. He was taught by God, then he taught the nation. You are shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. And then we have examples of Moses and Joshua commissioning the nation. The revelation to King David after God spoke to Nathan and so on. More in the Old Testament. I just chose examples. Solomon's prayer that the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. Hezekiah under threat of the enemy. O Lord God of Israel, you may have made heaven and earth. Levite's confession under Ezra. Uh, King David's testimonials that are many. Isaiah, again. These will be in the handout so you don't have to write them down. And then I went through the same thing in the New Testament. Jesus' direct claim when he was here, who he was, and that's why he was uh, uh, became a rapid enemy of those who were threatened by his teaching. Jesus teaches, the teacher of the law, hear this, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and love your neighbor as yourself. John 5.18, Jesus' direct claim to those trying to uh, to kill him, and he, uh, uh, he he was. This was because he was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus' prayer prior to get, uh, going to Calvary, and in the New Testament as well, from Paul challenging Timothy, as some examples. The sec- second example, I put them together. This is about correlation and and putting uh, our learnings together in one place. The Old Testament. God, and this is about God's love. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. And I will tell you about my love through this experience that you are having. John 3.16. Now, this is Phil mapping the relationship between these, right? This is not inspired stuff, but it's how we try to put topics together when we study the attributes of God. And we know John 3.16 on the other side of that. When we study God's love, we look at the Old Testament. It talks so much about God's abundant or and His faithful love. So right away, He's giving you dimensions to uh, what His love is. And it's linked to His steadfastness, His absolute immutability in, the, in who He is as a God of love. He is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. John chapter 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may know this love that surpasses knowledge love undergirded by the covenant of God a very key aspect of love in the Old Testament was it was undergirded by God's covenants his love came first the agreements came second and uh, you do not John chapter 10 uh, we are out of time Basis love was a basis for intercession before God. We can plead things to God because His love does not change. It is always there for us. And uh, 
Uh, love is often linked with other attributes of understanding of future events that are all under God's power and control. Because he loves you, uh, these things will happen. So in closing, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. I just uh, have a, a few items of encouragement and it comes a little bit from our learning in the Ray Vanderlam series about Ray Vanderlam series about how uh, the people of God followed their rabbi and we are doing that as we follow our God. And here are a few encouraging exhortations to us all. God says in these chapters about himself, Hear me only. Subject all other truth to my truth. Subject all other influences to me. And make sure that your mind, the central control station, is, is mapped with the word of God and the values of God and the knowledge of God such that when changes happen to you, not like Riley, you have God himself assisting us through those hard times. Come to me. Know me. Love me in return. Follow me. Bring others to me. And hope in me. We could spend a long time on all of this and I apologize for between you, be, by, I apologize for me be, be, being between you and lunch. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear God, our Father, we just humble ourselves before you and we thank you for who you are. Give us an enlarged vision of you, we pray, as we open your word and focus on you together as you were from eternity to the eternity forward and how you came to this earth in the person of your Son, part of the, your eternal nature of Trinity and yet united in your purpose to bring a people to yourself. We just pray that you would help us to respond to you by living a life that is worthy of the death that you died. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.